2: Well, in our series our Bruins series, uh we have a uh, 2A Freedom Fighter attorney extraordinaire Dan Schmutter on the show today and uh he's going to be giving us his thoughts and opinions and uh tactical uh, moves on what's going on with this uh, upcoming New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case versus uh, Bruin that we're all waiting with bated breath. We have about three weeks. If you're listening to the show, we have three weeks or less to go before the opinion comes out. So without further ado, Dan Schmutter.
3: Hey, guys. Great to be back. It's been a while.
2: Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, COVID killed us. COVID. So. <laughs>
1: It's true. COVID but, but killed you, but us. It but you've, ri- me, but you've yeah.
2: risen like a phoenix but
3: from yes,
1: the dead. Yes, yes, yes. Dusty, dusty, but we're here.
2: Yes, <laughs> so so Dan, you know everybody. Uh, I talked about this last week and the week before. Everybody's like, "I want to come in. I want to qualify. I want to take an NRA class so that the day the Supreme Court ruling comes down, I can strap on my uh, Desert Eagle on my ankle and my uh, North American Arms twenty-two magnum in my shirt pocket and start walking around the streets." And we're telling people that's not what's going to happen. I want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly for you. From you, you're getting the entire show except for our sponsor breaks and uh, a little class stuff at the end because this is so important. And everybody listening, listen to the show, uh, support those who support you. Dan, what law firm are you with? Hartman & Winicky in
3: Ridgewood, New Jersey.
2: So please, if you, need, if you need any counsel, look up Dan. He does a lot for the 2A community, and he does a lot of volunteer work for the 2A community. But so Dan now is going to give us the good, the bad, the ugly, his opinions, and, and what he thinks is going to happen and what we need to do. So without further ado, Mr. Schmutter, please. Thanks, Anthony. Hey,
3: you, you know, you're, Thank you're, you. you're exactly right, by the way, <clears throat> that it isn't going to be – that easy. It's not, it's not going to go that way. You know, where suddenly the day after the Supreme court decides, uh, New York state rifle and pistol association versus Berlin, everybody the next day gets to go strap on their, their, uh, concealed <laughs> carry pistol. Um, so, and, and by the way, this is, this is just very exciting what's going on. Uh, this case, as you know, and as everybody listening knows has generated enormous, um, excitement, uh, and, uh, anticipation. Um, it, it, and, uh, we do expect to see it, you know, obviously, it's going to come out in the next few weeks, probably the last day, but you never know. Um, But, you know, Heller and McDonald both came out on the last day of opinions. Um, And the reason, you know, these things tend to come out late in the term, you know, uh, towards the end or at the end, is because they're controversial. And so, we expect to see a variety of opinions, you know, regardless of which way it comes out, we expect to see a variety of opinions. There will, of course, be a majority opinion, but there will be at least one dissenting opinion, probably more than one. And there might even be some concurring opinions. Um, you know, who who knows? And so um, uh, the the getting these opinions finalized takes time. They get written, they get circulated, they get rewritten, they get amended, uh, some of the justices will join an opinion, will not join an opinion, will defect and decide that they don't like that opinion, so they're going to join a different opinion or, or whatever. That process is very time-consuming, and that takes a while. They circulate these things, they read them, they look at them, they comment. And so that's why the controversial opinions tend to come out late, because it just, it's just a time-consuming process. Um, and <clears throat> so, you know, we, we should not be at all surprised to see uh, uh, if, if Bruin comes out on the last day. Now, When's the last day? Well, right now the last day on the calendar is June 27th, but that's not set in stone. If the court um, has has more um, opinions to release, um, and they haven't released everything by the 27th of June, they can add additional days—Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever. I mean, they they can—they're not going to go into August. But I mean, if they're not finished by Monday the 27th, then they'll add a, a day or two or three, however long it takes. But basically, within that time frame. We should see the opinion, you know, whether it's the twenty seventh, the twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth, whatever. Um, now, so he, here's here are the uh, here are the, the 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 basic possibilities, and I, I talked about this when I addressed the uh, Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs board meeting recently and that video is available for people to view and there's some discussion on that uh, um about some of this stuff as well um but what i basically said and this is a, a total simplification because anything can happen you know uh, i've been doing this for more than 30 years and long ago i gave up trying to predict what judges are going to do it, <laughs>
2: it's
3: just it is just not it's just a we fool's get spirit. it we get it you know um but if you think about it, if you want to sort of distill it down to simpler, a simple way of thinking about it, it's essentially a two-by-two two matrix, right? Okay. Um, there can, it can be a favorable result, or it can be an unfavorable result. And if it's a favorable result, it could be very broad, or it could be very narrow. Now, obviously, it could be anything in between, but I'm just breaking it down, trying to distill it into the basic concepts. You can have a very broadly favorable Opinion, which, of course, we would all love to see. We'd love to see a favorable result with broad uh, uh, broad uh, implications and a broad impact on the Second Amendment and Second Amendment jurisprudence. But there could also be a very narrow ruling, favorable but narrow, meaning it has a uh, it, it deals specifically with the issue of right to carry and may not have broad reaching implications on other aspects of the Second Amendment. Similarly, if it goes badly, we could have a narrowly bad ruling that only implicates uh, right to carry and doesn't necessarily uh, isn't necessarily bad for the rest of the Second Amendment. Or if it really goes badly, we could see a very bad ruling that um, is broadly bad for the Second Amendment, not just within the the context of right to carry, but uh, other that it would badly affect other aspects of Second Amendment law. Now the general thought, and again, like I said, I I don't predict things anymore, but, but the general thought is that our chances for a favorable ruling are very good. Um, And I think that people are basing that on um, the composition of the court, uh, or or how oral argument went, um, how people understand uh, what the justices have previously said and thought about Second Amendment issues, we've seen. We've seen, even though this is only the third, uh, well, there, it's, it's it's only the third case where we're likely to see a substantive ruling on the Second Amendment from the Supreme Court. You know, significant substantive ruling. There have been plenty of opportunities for the justices to write about the Second Amendment. As we know, there have been plenty of cases that. The um, the uh, court has rejected, and on a number of those cases, Justice Thomas and others have written dissenting opinions, um, um, suggesting that the court should have taken these cases and should have decided them a certain way. So, sure. so even from a dissenting opinion, you can get a sense of how a justice thinks about these issues. Um, uh, for example, Justice Barrett, when she was on the Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, wrote a dissenting opinion in a case that uh, uh, let us understand um, how she views uh, the Second Amendment in a certain context. So you can get a feel for where their head is on these kinds of issues, what sorts of approaches they think make sense, how the Second Amendment is supposed to work. uh, And so you can kind of get a feel for what do we think uh, these particular justices are likely to think about this particular kind of case. How are they likely to view it? What is their sense going to be of how the case should come out? And so you kind of put all that stuff together and you have to decide, you know, where do we think, where do we think the, you know, the the case is likely to go? And, and as I've said, I think the general view is I think people on both sides of this, by the way, the, the pro 2A people and the anti 2A people, I think generally think that the chances for a favorable outcome are pretty good. So th- that's that's where I think the excitement comes from because I think that uh, people are generally you know thinking that this is likely to be favorable. Now, let's so let's assume, so <clears throat> this discussion, I think, will will we'll proceed from the idea that we that that we're assuming we're uh, a favorable outcome in the Bruin case, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, unless you want me to address, you know, some of the other stuff, I'm going di- to not sort of discuss, well, what happens if things go badly. I'm just going to assume for the purpose of this conversation that things go well in Bruin and we see a favorable opinion. You know, what what, what does that mean? <clears throat> And, you know, it means a few things. So, so the one thing we know for sure is that, and this is, you know, talking about New Jersey, for example. The one thing we know for sure is that this case does not directly implicate New Jersey because New Jersey is not a party to the case. This is a case specifically about New York and New York law. And so when the case is decided, and if it's decided favorably to the petitioners, um, only New York law will be directly affected by the decision. If the court rules that New York's need requirement for their carry permit regulations uh, is unconstitutional. That will only immediately make New York's need requirement unenforceable. It will not automatically make any other states need requirement unenforceable. So for folks in New Jersey who are anticipating this decision, and they should be anticipating this decision, uh, people have to understand that the day after Bruin is decided, if it's decided favorably, that doesn't mean New Jersey law, that anything automatically happens to New Jersey law. New Jersey law, the day after Bruin, will remain unchanged. Now, how do we, now, that doesn't mean that the Bruin decision is irrelevant to New Jersey law, because if the decision is broad enough, that is, if the case is decided in a way that we think it's likely to be decided, the thought is that what's probably going to happen is that the ruling will be such that not just New York law will be implicated, but any law similar to how New York law is will also be indirectly implicated. And so, you know, the thought is that the court court is probably Mm -hmm. gonna say something along the lines of, you can't impose a need requirement in order to be able to carry a handgun for self-defense, and, beca- and because because New York's need rule is so similar to New Jersey's need rule, um, in New York they call it one thing, in New Jersey they call it justifiable need. And each state calls it something different, but but they're very similar from state to state. You know, all the states that have this need requirement, it's very very similar. So the thought is that it's most likely the case that if the court rules against New York on its need law, though that ruling will also have, uh, 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 will also implicate New Jersey's justifiable need rule. So then the question becomes, how do we bring that to New Jersey? Well, um, a couple of reasons, a couple of ways. I mean, number one, there's litigation. I mean, we have, uh, when I say we, uh, ANGRPC has a case called Mazare, which is sitting in the district court of the Federal Court of the District of New Jersey, um, and it's waiting, awaiting the outcome of Bruin. We started the case last year, and the case is now essentially stayed waiting for Bruin to be decided. Once Bruin is decided, and if it's decided favorably, we are ready to to bring the Masoret case back online and advance the claim uh, against the state of New Jersey incorporating this, the ruling from Bruin. So the case, the Masary case becomes a case that can use the Bruin decision to say, okay, the Supreme Court has ruled that New York's need requirement is unconstitutional. Effectively, the court ruled that all need requirements are unconstitutional. Therefore, the New Jersey rule has to fall as well. Um, And and so we're prepared to do that. I mean, we've been, you know, we've been wargaming this for quite a while now because um, we've had to think about um, what is the Supreme Court likely to do? Uh, what could the, what could the opinion look like? What are the different scenarios? You know, if it comes out our way, what would that what, what might that look like? Um, and so we've been preparing for a variety of different scenarios, and we've also been preparing for how the state of New Jersey will react to a decision in Bruin that goes our way. Uh, how the state of New Jersey reacts makes an enormous difference, because there's a lot of different things that could happen. Um, State of New Jersey could do nothing and simply say, okay, sue us, in which case we're prepared to do that. We've already done it. The Maseret case is ready to, uh, to, to come back online. And if necessary, we're prepared to, to do that. Um, but there's a lot of other things that could happen. And uh, what's important is to understand that, you know, the, 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 the New Jersey government is not a uniform, unified, you know, blob. There are different components of the government that that are uh, that are affected or will be affected differently by a favorable ruling in Bruin. Think now, and one of the most important ways to understand this is to understand the unusual procedure that we have here in New Jersey for obtaining a permit to carry. Uh, in New Jersey, we have a two-tiered process. You start with the chief of police. But then you end up with a superior court judge. The superior court judge is the ultimate issuing authority. And the way that works is that the superior court judge is not a judicial officer in that context. We normally think of judges as judges. They are judicial. They serve a judicial function. They are involved in the resolution of controversies and cases. Uh, you have litigants before the court, and there's one side, and then there's the other side, and the judge is the neutral the neutral judicial officer that presides over the resolution of a dispute. That's what courts do. But in the context of the carry permit statute, judges are not judicial officers, they are administrative officials. Um, they are no different than, let's say, the state police in that regard, when it comes to, you know, or, or the chief of police. Um, you know, the, as you know, the chief of police issues FID cards and permits to purchase a handgun. Uh, the, in the context of a carry permit, the, uh, the judge serves that exact same function. And and we know, for example, from the 1971 case, uh, Sicardi versus state, the, the when the carry Permit law was first challenged. The Supreme Court basically said, you know, this is not a judicial function. This is an administrative function, and the legislature can't, couldn't make us do this if we didn't want to. You know, it's a separation of powers thing. The legislature can't make the judiciary do certain things, um, and so, and vice versa. And so, the legislature can't just decide to turn judges into administrative officials. That's not that's that's that would be a violation of the separation of powers. But what the Supreme Court of New Jersey said was, look you can't make us do this, but we're going to do it because we think that it's important for us to do this, and we think we know what we're doing, we think we can do this well, and so we're going to take, we're going to agree to take it on ourselves to be the issuing authority for this, but that doesn't change the fact that these judges are operating in an administrative capacity. What does that mean? It means that they have the same exposure, the same legal liability that any other administrative official has, if they do something unlawful. So, for the same in the same way that you could sue, uh, you know, some executive department, the, the 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 DEP or the Turnpike Authority or the state police, if they violate your constitutional rights, the judges who issue permits are have the same status. They are also subject to personal liability if they. Uh, viol- if they violate someone's civil rights um, in a way that, that that satisfies the rules associated with how you how you can get damages against a, a government official for a violation of constitutional rights or various hurdles that you have to uh, satisfy. But here's the upshot of it. If you're a Superior Court judge, and, and I think people understand, each vicinity, each county, has one essentially gun judge. That is, each county has one judge that all of the permit cases go to. Yep. If you're... If you go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: I said, yeah, that's correct.
3: Right. So, if you're the gun judge in a particular county, right, the, the 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 first application, the first carry permit application that comes to you after Bruin, where you know, in a situation where the Supreme Court Supreme Court has stricken the need requirement in Bruin, you've got a real decision to make. You're now an administrative official who has to decide. Can I enforce justifiable need? This person has made an application to me, and now I've got a quandary. I know that the Supreme Court has ruled that need is unconstitutional. Am I authorized? Am I lawfully authorized to enforce that? And if I do enforce it, do I open myself up to damages? Under the, civil, under the federal civil rights statute. That's a real problem. That is something that the, that the gun judges in each vicinity are gonna have to really struggle with because you know if the Supreme Court rules in a way that is very clear and very unequivocal, uh, a judge who nevertheless enforces New Jersey's justifiable need requirement when, when issuing or deciding about the issuance of a permit, they're very potentially opening themselves up to, dam- to a personal damage claim. Um, and I would not want to be the the gun judge uh, in that situation. It's a very difficult situation to be in. Now, as you can imagine, that same the the police chiefs face a very similar problem. Um, now, of course, the police chief is not the final arbiter of the uh, of the permit application. You, know, you go to the police chief first, but really it's the judge's decision that matters because regardless of what the police chief says, the judge can do whatever the judge thinks uh, he or she should do. Uh, if the chief denies it, the judge can grant it, and if the chief grants it, the judge can deny it. So it's really up to the judge, but the police chief is also potentially in the same situation. So if you're the chief of a municipality and you get that first permit application after Bruin, You've got to decide: Can I lawfully apply the justifiable need requirement? And if I do it, and it turns out to be unco- it turns out to be a civil rights violation, do I open myself up to personal damages I under the civil it. rights law? Uh, it's a real problem, and it creates a potential mess for every police chief in the state and every gun judge uh, in the judiciary. Um, and so, and we haven't even talked about the attorney general's office, the governor, the legislature, but just those two components of government it's a real uh, quandary for them and they're put in a very difficult position now who else who else um, should care about the, the, the post Bruin world well of course there's I mean of course there's obviously the state of New Jersey in terms of in terms of litigating you know do they if the if the Bruin decision comes down very favorable to us do they want to devote resources to litigating an issue that probably will eventually they will eventually most likely lose I mean of course it depends on what the what the Bruin decision says, but the Bru- Bruin decision could very easily come down in a way that pretty much the writing would be on the wall that that litigating let 's say the Masorade case would be a futile effort um, and they will have devoted substantial resources to litigating a case which they 're unlikely to win uh-huh. uh, that 's you know if Bruin comes down very strongly in our favor. Um, Now, think about it this way, right? If Bruin comes down very broadly favorable, right, if Bruin is decided not just in a way that impacts right to carry, but if Bruin, if the decision creates or clarifies or enhances legal rules for generally considering Second Amendment cases, we could find many more Second Amendment cases being brought. And so the state of New Jersey may find itself defending a whole bunch of new cases. And so if you're the state and you've got to decide how to allocate resources, you then, now you have to say, well, wait a minute. The Bruin decision has opened the door to a lot more litigation. So do we want to spend resources defending a position that we're probably going to lose or do we want to devote those resources to these new issues, which have never been litigated? Um, and so that's that's another decision that the state has to make. How do they allocate their resources? They don't have an unlimited uh, 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 they don't have unlimited resources. They've got to pick their fights, just like anybody else. And so this is a decision they're going to have to make. Are we going to devote all this all this litigation effort and money to carry, uh, knowing that we're probably going to lose eventually? Uh, and again, this is this is all. This is all predicated on Bruin being a, a strongly favorable decision. If it's not, that's all a different story. Um, or do we want to save those resources and devote them to the next case? Um, and the next case, you know, that, that's coming down the pike. Don't forget, a still has the magazine case. The magazine case is sitting at the Supreme Court right now. Our petition to the Supreme Court on the magazine case has been held. Uh, we filed that a long time ago. It's been sitting there presumably waiting for the court to decide Bruin. Well, so what could happen to the magazine petition after Bruin is decided? Well, the court can do a number of things. Assuming that that's why they're holding it, it's almost certainly the case that's why they're holding it. Um, Assuming that that's the case, the day after, well, not the day after, but after Bruin is decided, what might the Supreme Court do with with our petition in the magazine case? Well, number one, they could just deny it. They could say, you know what, we've been holding this, but, eh, case is over, cert denied, and then the case is over. Okay, that's one uh. possibility. Another possibility is they could grant it, and they could say, okay, now that we've decided right to carry, we're going to decide about magazine capacity. Um, that's less likely only because the court tends not to do that kind of thing. They tend not to take sequential cases. Usually, especially if Bruin is a... Uh, is, 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 is it announces some broad principles, what they prob- would, would want to do more likely is they'd want to see how Bruin percolates through the courts, the lower courts. In other words, it's basically, look, we've announced these new rules, let's see how that plays out in other cases. So they're less likely, I and mean, they could grant it, but they're less likely to do that, just kind of how they work. Now, so the third possibility,
2: yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, go to the third possibility. The third right?
3: possibility is something that's called a GVR. A GVR stands for grant, vacate remand uh, and what they're basically doing is they're saying okay we've announced a bunch of new rules for how to deal with these cases so we're going to grant the petition we're going to vacate the decision below i'm going to send it back to do it over it's basically a do-over it's like look you did it wrong here's the new rules now decide this case again under the new rules um, and uh which is essentially what happened in the Katano case um, and so they're not deciding on the merits, they're saying, you got it wrong, here are the rules that you're supposed to follow, do it again, and, and, and if it comes back, it comes back, but we're not deciding it now, we're just sending it back. That is that is probably uh, a pretty good probability, again, who knows, they could do anything, but a, a GVR in the magazine case would be a really good result, because it gives us another shot at the magazine law, but under, hopefully, much more favorable rules uh that govern second amendment jurisprudence um and if that's the case that's another example of a case that the state of new jersey is going to have to litigate so it's not just new cases that they might have be faced with where they have to decide how to allocate their resources the magazine case may be coming right back in which case they have to decide well we're going to are we going to litigate the magazine case are we going to litigate right to carry are we going to litigate new cases how are we going to allocate our resources so a, a favorable A very favorable ruling in Bruin really poses that question to New Jersey how they're going to litigate these various cases. And they may reasonably decide it's not a good strategy to devote our resources to a case that we're probably going to lose eventually when we've got a lot of other stuff we want to fight, that kind of thing. So that's a decision the state of New Jersey has to make as well. um, And they could. They could decide that fight is no longer worth it. We have better uses for our resources to fight other fights. You, you were going to ask a question, Anthony. I'm sorry. Well,
2: I, I think New Jersey is going to go down kicking and screaming, and they're going to fight it even if they know they're going to lose because their tactic will be delay until all the Second Amendment advocates are either dead or have moved out of the state.
3: Oh, look, that, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, I, I, I would I would not be surprised if that's the way they went. Um, but you know one of the one of one reason i want to talk about this is to show why it doesn't have to go that way um, for example I, mean, I think this is really important the it's actually interesting because for new jersey to essentially implement or recognize the bruin decision if it goes you know if it goes our way there's almost nothing they have to do all the state of new jersey has to do is not enforce justifiable need, yeah. um, because the whole the whole rest of the permitting system remains in place. As you know, there's a very um, rigorous, well developed process, a well known process for obtaining a carry permit, uh, it involves there's a training requirement, there is a background check, there are forms, there is an investigation, there is a whole process, um, there are procedures in front of the court, there are procedures in front of the police chief, so this is a well known process that is already established. The only thing that really has to happen if Bruin goes our way is that they stop enforcing justifiable need. Everything else can remain the same. So this is very much unlike other situations, like for example, um, uh, Illinois in Moore versus Madigan, Illinois had no carry process at all. Illinois was one of two jurisdictions at the time, Illinois and the District of Columbia, that prohibited all carry. And so Illinois didn't even have a permitting system in place. And so when Illinois' complete ban on carry was rendered unconstitutional in Moore versus Madigan by the Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, the court said, okay, we're going to delay the effectiveness of the ruling to give the legislature some time to come up with some sort of system that implements our ruling. Because mm-hmm. had had the court simply said, okay, uh, your law is unconstitutional, goodbye, you basically would have had, you know, permitless carry. Um, and although permitless carry is very popular today, back then, there wasn't a lot of permitless carry. And understandably, the court could reasonably conclude, well, we don't know if the legislature wants permitless carry. Um, many states have shall issue carry laws, we're going to give the legislature some time to figure out how to implement this in a way that is constitutional. And as we know, what Illinois ultimately did was they passed a shall issue statute. Um, and, And that's how that went. But that's not necessary here, because both New York and New Jersey, and really the other states too, have a system already in place. There is no need to stay the effectiveness of the ruling, because really, all that's really likely to happen is, you know, assuming that that the the Supreme Court rules the way we think they're likely to rule, all that's really going to happen is the need requirement just drops out of the formula. Everything else remains the same. Nobody's challenging any other aspect of the process, just the obligation to prove need. So if the court says need is unconstitutional as a requirement, all that has to happen is it just drops out. Everything else stays in place, and that's true in New York, it's true in New Jersey. And so the state of New Jersey, if they wanted to implement or recognize a, a decision, a, that kind of a decision in Bruin, literally all they would need to do is enact you know, or implement some process by which um, the justifiable need requirement is no longer uh, effective or operative. Uh, possibly it could be done through an attorney general opinion or guidance. Hmm. Uh, possibly it could be done through um, a, uh, a guidance from the administrative office of the courts, which is a, a, an organ of the uh, Supreme Court of New Jersey, directing the judiciary to no longer enforce justifiable need. There's a variety of ways that that could happen relatively easy, easily. So there, is, there are a number of avenues where the state of New Jersey can can do this, without involving the legislature at all.
1: But you're going to have um, to hold on to those, then, because we kind of take a quick break. Okay. Hold that thought.
0: Are you still fighting crime the old-fashioned way? Now cut crime in half the time with a fast, easy, money-saving solution. Introducing the Shipbaggerator, this year's all-new crime deterrence marvel from the makers of Gun for Hire Radio. The ShipBaggerator's compact design makes it quicker and easier to use than jail cells, parole boards, lethal injections, or those costly, outdated electric chairs. Just park your ShipBaggerator in the town square, open the lid, and drop the shipbag in. It's that simple. There's no wrong way to use it. Back and forth, side to side, round and round, shipbags go in and come out as a mound. Super sharp stainless steel blades that never need sharpening do all the work. Slice ship bags so thin they only have one side. Built strong to last they slice through even the toughest ship bags. Murderers, rapists, child molesters, no problem. Just set it to high and the Ship Baggerator's powerful patented motor will handle them three at a time. No muss, no fuss, no bogging down. Just pop the top Drop them in and watch as the powerful, counter-rotating blades pull any size ship bag through at 2 feet per second. Amazing! Cleanup is a breeze. Just rinse with a fire hose or run it through the car wash. There's even a pulse setting for serial offenders. Save up the worst and delight the crowds on the 4th of July. Who needs fireworks when you've got the ship baggerator? And it's portable, so you can take it anywhere. But wait, there's more! For a limited time, we'll send you four additional sets of special stainless steel blades that never need sharpening. So now you can chop, slice, <laughs> dice, and cube. The Ship Baggerator and four specialty blades all for the same low, low price. Unbelievable! So don't wait, fall and get yours today!
1: The Ship Baggerator is available only at Gun for Hire Radio. Operators are standing by.
0: With the news, events, and political shenanigans impacting your freedom, you're listening to Gun for Hire Radio, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation.
2: Let me do some housekeeping first while all of you are digesting everything that Dan is telling us in plain English. Support those who support you, ladies and gentlemen. Marty's V-Burger, martysvburger.com. Get 20% off if you mention Gun for Hire or Gun for Hire Radio. You can order online and you can pick up at Freakin' Vegans on Freakin' Fridays in Prospect Park, New Jersey. Uh, Decoding Firearms by John Petrolino is available on Amazon as well as the Gun for Hire Pro Shop. The Gun Lawyer Podcast, Exposing the Truth About the Laws Designed to Strip You of Your Freedoms, by Evan Knappen. Uh, don't forget the Quarantine Crawl. 350 businesses, Dan and his firm Hartman & Winicky are also on the crawl. Big supporters since day one, so check it out, QuarantineCrawl.com. Crime Proof. Think like a criminal and beat them at their own game. Available on Amazon, Kindle, or CrimeProofBook.com. If you want concierge medicine like I have, Dr. Joseph Sambatero, OptimalHealthWellnessNJ.com. Never wait in a doctor's office again. No more than 250 patients that he will take care of, and I'm proud to say I'm one of his first, and a lot of gun-for-hire people have signed up for Optimal Health Wellness NJ. Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club, Tony Gallo, looking for members, donors, competitors, L-A-K-E-I-S dot org. Zen Float Center, 219 Park Avenue, Scotch Plains, ZenFloatCenter.com, ask for Sharon Decker, salt of the earth people, literally. Uh, and the gun <laughs> store is open for the entire month of June, 2,200 square feet, multi-line dealer. Just got a pallet of uh, guns delivered today, by the way, a nice. pallet. Uh, we're having huge ammo deals, member buyer club deals, and we're doing a blowout uh, case ammo special uh, effective, I think, Sunday or today or tomorrow. So check out the gun store right now for the month of June. It's just open 12 to 6, seven days a week. July, we start our official grand opening month with giveaways and extended hours. Dan, you're going through this whole thing. Let people know that tactically you have, we have this other case queued up for carry. We also, our 15 round mag case is queued up somewhere as well, isn't it?
3: Correct, and that's that's what I was talking about. The magazine case. So go ahead, hit magazine it. case. The magazine case, as I said, is the, our petition on the magazine case is sitting at the Supreme Court. That's what I was talking about when I was talking about this idea. Of what what is known as a GVR, and so uh, Bruin. If Bruin goes well, the Supreme Court could very easily send our magazine case back down to the lower courts for a do-over. But mm. the do-over, you know, if, if it goes as we're hoping. The do-over would be under a new set of rules, a stronger, more rigorous set of rules that hopefully gets us a different outcome on the second go-around. The first go-around we lost at the trial court, Uh, we ended up... We had actually two appeals to the third court of appeals to the third circuit we lost on two one decisions both times we had wonderful dissents from judge bbos and judge matey but of course you know getting a dissent is not winning um and so when we filed our petition you know we were hoping the court would hear our case um they didn't reject it they kept it they held on to it and obviously the thought is the expectation is that when they rule in Bruin, they're going to look at our case and say, okay, what should we do with this? Now that we've ruled this way in Bruin, let's, let's consider sending it back down for a do-over. That would be a really good result. So we get a second shot at the, at the, at the statute, um, at trying to bring down the statute, um, and the court would have to decide it under a new, more um, rigorous set of rules. That's the hope, uh, that we'll see something like that. So, you know, again, that's a, another thing that the state of New Jersey is going to have to deal with if it goes as, as we hope. You know, that type
2: of thing, you know, um, Dan has been had his finger on the pulse of this for a long time. How many cases is this now that have gone up uh, since you've been involved in thirty years that we've gotten across to the Supreme Court, Dan?
3: Well, we've—I mean, you know, we had our we had our Rogers case, uh, Rogers versus Graywall, which was our previous carry case, which uh, which was denied cert, but it, it was denied in a way that sent shockwaves, because if you recall. Rogers was one of 10 cases, 10 petitions that was sitting there pending a decision in the New York City case. And um, when, the, all, when all 10 cases were denied cert, that is, denied review by the Supreme Court, Justice Thomas and uh, Justice Kavanaugh wrote a dissenting opinion, scathing opinion, in Rogers, in our case, Uh, not the other nine cases, but they wrote a a dissenting opinion in Rogers, again, arguing that they should have taken the case and they should have decided in favor of right to carry. So interestingly, even though the Rogers case was not taken up by the Supreme Court, the Rogers case is cited all over the place because of Thomas's very, very uh, strong dissenting opinion. Yes. So, so it, you know, you can you can lose a case and still have an impact. Uh, that that case has an impact on briefing, and argument, and thought, and the thought process, and how to think about the law. Uh, so, you know, it's it's nice to, you know, it, there's something to be said for you, you may lose, but you may still have an impact, which is you know something. So there's there's a lot of look there's a lot there's been a lot of effort um, uh, since Heller. Um, there's been a lot of litigation. Um, coming from a lot of different directions and, and and everything has had some role in advancing the ball, the, the ball. And, and so um, I'm just, you know, I'm very, I'm very pleased and, and grateful to have been, you know, to be part of it because it's very gratifying. Uh, it's frustrating uh, when, you know, you know, you can take some steps forward, some steps back, you know, the steps back are, can be very frustrating and aggravating, but it's all part of the process of moving the ball forward and moving the the uh, cause of civil rights forward. You know, I like to say civil rights, uh, the civil rights effort is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, It takes a long time, a lot of effort. You know, it is, uh, it's 14 years since Heller. And I mean, that's actually pretty fast. We've actually made a lot of progress since Heller. In the world of civil rights, that's actually pretty fast. I know it seems very seems like a very long drawn out process to people you know every you know after after Heller was decided everybody wanted to be carrying everybody wanted you know uh 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 All the assault weapon laws to be struck down. Everybody wanted all the stuff, but it doesn't work that way. It is a slog, but you have to be dedicated. You have to never give up. You have to keep the ball moving. Every setback requires that you pick yourself up and you move forward and you just have to be relentless. And if there's one thing I can say about the second amendment community, we are utterly relentless and we will get there. And that's, you know, that's the way it has to be.
2: Dan, uh, So a few weeks ago, I played a clip, Sandy played a clip of Thomas with a guttural belly laugh, which makes me Hmm. feel like he's definitely going to get the the last laugh because he doesn't care if he's not allowed to hang in certain social circles or certain country clubs. And I've known previously he said, you know, it's time we stop kicking the Second Amendment can down the road. So I'm hoping in my heart of hearts that this is going to be his swan song. You know, as he's in his mid-70s now. And he's been attacked and his wife has been attacked. And uh, I'm hoping that this is our case that Thomas really sets the precedent, you know, and fills in the blanks that um, um, Scalia, you know, left the kind of little open with Heller and McDonald. Uh, How do you feel about that? That's my opinion as a non-lawyer. I I think think
3: if Thomas is writing the opinion, I think that's great. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see that. You know, don't forget, though. If Thomas is writing the opinion, we should expect lots of really good language, but you've got to understand, anything, if he's the one authoring the opinion, anything he puts down on paper needs five votes for it to be the law, right? And so we see this a lot, especially in modern Supreme Court history, you know, in the last 20, 30, 40 years. We see majority opinions that are in pieces. Um, we saw this in McDonald's. We see it a lot. And what happens is... You may end up with um, the pieces of an opinion being the majority and other pieces not being the majority. So McDonald is a great example. So McDonald versus Chicago, as you know, was the second big Second Amendment case after it was – Heller was in 2008. McDonald was in 2010. And McDonald was the case that brought the Second Amendment essentially to the states um, because Heller – the Keller case involved the District of Columbia, technically it only applied to federal enclaves. And so what McDonald did was it said, okay, all these rules also apply to state and local law. And that was very important because that's what you needed in order to open the floodgates for second amendment litigation against state and local law. But a really interesting thing happened. And this is really, this is not something that lay people tend to focus on. It's really kind of a law geek kind of thing, but it's actually kind of important Uh, from the perspective of of constitutional law. Um, McDonald was about the concept of incorporation, the idea that as originally drafted, the Bill of Rights was only a, a, a check and enforceable against the federal government. It did not apply to states. The way the Bill of Rights became applicable and enforceable as against state law is through the 14th amendment the question and and they call this concept incorporation what basically the thought is that what the 14th amendment did was it incorporated aspects of the bill of rights into the 14th amendment making it applicable to the states you know the civil war one of the things the civil war did was it changed the deal it changed the relationship of the states and the federal government and, it's, and the 14th Amendment, one of the things the 14th Amendment did was to say, okay, states, this stuff applies to you too now. That's the New Deal. New Deal is you also can't violate people's fundamental rights, and the Constitution of the United States makes that enforceable against you. Well, so oddly, when the Supreme Court started recognizing that various aspects of the Bill of Rights were incorporated into the 14th amendment and therefore made applicable and enforceable into the states they did it in a piecemeal manner they didn't rule okay bill of rights now applies to the states they did it right by right and so when the second amendment came up in heller the question was okay heller now the, the second amendment guarantees an individual right to keep and bear arms now does that apply to the states was it is it incorporated through the 14th amendment mm-hmm. but here's the weird thing so for many years, the understanding of the court has been that the, the, uh, the, the portion of the 14th Amendment that does the incorporating is the due process clause. Well, in recent years, there's been a considerable amount of scholarship that argues that that's wrong, that the due process clause does not make sense as a provision that incorporates substantive law as against the states. The 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 more the newer theory and the more controversial theory is that it's the privileges or immunities clause that's in the Fourteenth Amendment. Well, in McDonald, there was a major argument made that the Second Amendment was incorporated through the Fourteenth Amendment, but not through the Due Process Clause, but through the privileges or immunities clause. Justice Thomas is the only one on the court who accepted that view. So here's what so the McDonald opinion is very strange. The McDonald opinion, as you know, was 5-4, was okay, with Thomas as part of the majority. The decision was written by Alito, but it was written in parts. One part of the decision talks about the due process clause. Thomas did not join that part, which means there is no majority on the Supreme Court holding why the Second Amendment is incorporated into the 14th Amendment, only that it is. So McDonald's holds that the Second Amendment is applicable to the states, but there's no majority opinion as to why <laughs> or, or wow. how. And so and so it's very odd. And so that's sort of my long-winded sort of constitutional, you know, teaching way of saying what Thomas writes. Thomas is the author of Bruin. Anything he writes, every piece, every aspect, every portion of the decision that is going to be considered the majority opinion of the court has to have five votes. So, and and as we know, Thomas is not shy about going it alone. Thomas writes and says what he means, and he often finds himself alone on the court with certain ideas, like the privileges or immunities incorporation concept. Nobody else bought it. Uh, The the four justices, other than Thomas, said due process. Thomas said privileges or immunities, and, you know... Um, he's no stranger to going on going uh, alone on things. So he might write a Bruin opinion that says all kinds of stuff. And he may not get five votes on everything he writes. He may not care about that, right? I mean, he may write, you know, it's not unusual for a the author of a majority opinion to have portions of the opinion that doesn't get five votes. And so it's this weird thing you have to kind of, if you're reading through the opinion, it'll say, at the top, opinion of the court, right? And you're scrolling through and you're reading and then suddenly it'll say opinion of justice so-and-so right in the middle. Hmm. And the reason for that is because that section doesn't have five votes. And so it's not the opinion of the court. And then three pages later, it says opinion of the court again because that section does have five votes. So we can hope for Thomas to be the author. I think that would be great. We can hope for Thomas to write really great, Um, principles into the opinion, but ultimately, it only really counts if there are five votes for the stuff that he writes. So what we're really looking for is Thomas, or whoever the author is, to be writing an opinion that is persuasive enough to garner those five votes, to be the law, to be the majority opinion, and the opinion of the court. It'll be very interesting to see what opinion actually comes down. It'll be interesting to see who the author is, how it's written, and how much of it gets at least five votes. That's going to be fascinating. And when it comes out, everybody's going to be like, you know, reading it like crazy and interpreting it, blogging about it, and doing all kinds of cool stuff.
2: Now, Dan, uh, do you think that we're going to see uh, maybe them a little more to the right since they've all been doxed and they're being threatened and there's assassination attempts on Supreme Court justices? You think this could have a positive effect for us 2 A people?
3: You know, I have no idea, you know, there, there's, you know, and of course, you know, there's, there's what we haven't discussed is the um, what all, all the things that have happened as a result of the improper leaking of the Dobbs, uh, uh, the draft Dobbs opinion, uh, the Roe v. Wade case, the abortion case, um, that really, truly unprecedented act has really um, uh, created some crazy circumstances. Um, and this assassination attempt, uh, against Justice Kavanaugh is just mind blowing. It's just astonishing. You know, when you get to the point, when you get to the point where judges are threatened with death, you're really in trouble. I mean, that kind of stuff happens in, you know, in Venezuela, uh, not in the United States of America. Um, judges, we, we should never be anywhere close to judges being threatened, lives being threatened. That is third world stuff. That is countries that do not have robust uh, constitutional rights, ro- bu- a robust protection of liberty. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah, and you always notice it never comes from the right, right? Yet we're, we're, the right is always the one that uh, that the Homeland Security is targeting for.
2: Yeah, the threats. We're not looking to beat up Supreme Court justices. Uh, I, I never wanted to beat up Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She probably would have. I wanted to take her uh, zip lining, but I never threatened to beat her up.
1: Although, I don't know, she could have kicked both our asses. Yeah.
2: So, Dan, uh, another thing, we, we you know, again, the requests are out there. You want to just reiterate, too, like, after everything you've discussed, this can go 7,000 different ways and have 7,000 different outcomes. We keep reiterating to people. We encourage everybody to get additional training, but there is no... No training or non resident carry permit or pistol qualification course that's going to put you ahead of the line when this ruling comes down to our knowledge at this moment. Would you agree with me, Dan?
3: Yeah. I mean, we, I, I don't know that anybody can particularly prepare today for what Bruin is going to, what the post Bruin world is going to look like. Um, we, we need to see what happens. And then once we see the case uh, and we've understood it and we digested it, then we can come up with strategies for people who want to accomplish certain goals. But I mean, I'm not aware that anybody, any individuals can, be do, should, can or should be doing anything right now to, to implement an as yet unrendered ruling, you know, that we, know, we don't know what it's going to say.
2: You, you know, uh, I, I'm just telling people, if you're listening to the show and you're new, get your firearms ID card, get some NRA basic training and uh, buy a firearm and get ready that way. Plus, the more we have, uh, you know, in our fraternity, the better, Right. That's and, well, that and especially would be my get tip.
1: your training. I, I I would say I would add that. Just get your training. Get at least some basic firearms safety knowledge. Basic. Learn how to work the tool you just purchased. If yep. you're new.
2: Yep. So so Dan, is this killing you as much as it's killing me? Tell the truth. You mean the waiting? Yes. You know it's kind of funny. It's <laughs> I mean it's it's not.
3: I, I it's it's really odd because. I don't know if it's because uh, I kind of know that it's going to pretty much come at the end of the term, and so I don't like. You know, I, I, I'll never forget. There's, you know, when when uh, when you have cert petitions in front of the Supreme Court. And just as a reminder to the listeners, a cert petition is a petition for certiorari in which a litigate a litigant asks the Supreme Court to hear their case. So a cert petition. So so a cert, a cert petition could be granted or denied, or, or it could be held like our magazine case. But typically it's either granted, meaning they're going to take the case, or denied, meaning they're not going to take the case and then the case is dead. And most petitions are denied. And so when you file cert petitions or you're waiting for a cert petition and you know, you, the, the, unlike the uh, release of an opinion, you know... When the justices are considering your petition because it's listed for a particular conference date. Mm-hmm. So if the con- conferences are typically on Fridays, although in the summer they're on Thursdays, or in the spring they're on Thursdays, rather. Um, and. Uh, so you know that your 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 case is listed for a conference you're sitting there in front of the screen you know refresh 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 to see when the order list comes down You know, the order list is the is the list that says that among other things says cert granted or cert denied so you're sitting there like your eyes attached to the to the screen anticipating and it's like yes refresh 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 oh my god it's cert denied You yeah, know, something like that i don't know this is different for some reason this i don't know when it's going to come down Probably the last day. For some uh, reason, I'm fairly even keeled about this. I'm not sure why. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm not. I, I'm not. Not this time. You know, I've been let down so many times. I was down in Trenton when the Drake case was denied. It's just, uh, I'm just waiting impatiently for this. And you know, today is the uh, 12th, and we have basically 18 days. And then you just ruined it for me because you said they can extend into July. Well, not that. They're like, not going to extend uh, that far. I'm
3: talking okay. about a few days. I'm not talking
2: about weeks. Okay. Right? So I mean, right now I'm just like I'm a- like 18 days, and then I'll get up tomorrow morning and I go <laughs> 17 days. You know, so it's it's. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just to that point because I'm also Dan. I'm I'm getting it from every angle. People are asking me, you know, and I'm copying what you said and what Scott said and passing it around and uh, because everybody is just the people that are in the know are just so excited about this and it's it's amazing to me how many people in the gun community I used air quotes don't even know this is going on. Yeah, that is amazing. It yeah. it yeah. it it's sad. It's sad yeah. really. Yeah. They don't what do you mean? What carry case? I'm like, oh my God, how many guns do you own? Oh, about fourteen. Yeah, yeah, I don't even right. want to talk to you anymore. Bye. <laughs> yeah it's like yeah, seriously. I
3: can I, I can I tell you as, as a matter of substance, I'm super excited to to hear the result. But as a matter of just sort of timing in my everyday existence, for whatever reason, I've just I've just put it aside. It's not I'm not obsessing over it, like you like I would imagine I might otherwise do. Um, it's going to come down. There's going to be a decision, and it could be great for us, um, and maybe not. But there's a good really we have our chances are really good. And when I read it, I'll know what it says, and then we'll go from there. I'm not sure why I'm that's my approach, but it is. Hmm.
2: So um, yeah, mag cases there. Now there's other cases throughout the country uh, that are also going to be that are that are being held also because of this opinion coming out. Correct? So right. So it's so, going to be yeah. a major groundswell.
3: Yeah, and then there's there's a bunch of cases on, on hold. Um, there's actually some new cases that have just been recently filed. We actually have another case um, in New Jersey called Kendrick uh, that ANGRPC is participating in. Uh, th- that is a case. I think I've, I think we've talked about this case in the past. It's, it's a case that I like to call a big tent case, because it is a, it is a whole bunch of groups all together. It's a it is pr- primarily a Second Amendment Foundation uh, Firearms Policy Coalition case, but they've invited everybody to participate, and so. Uh, uh, CNJFO is in, ANG-RPC is in, uh, you know. So, so it's, it's like a whole bunch of groups yep. all, all working together on the Kendrick case. It's kind of it's fun. I mean, it's, you don't see that too often, and it's really nice to see that. That's, That's a great example of, yep. of what happens when you when everybody gets together and they're on the same page. That's the case I, that challenges New Jersey's general permitting scheme. It challenges the FID card requirement. It challenges the permit to purchase a handgun requirement. So it's a we, very uh, broad attack on New
2: Jersey law. We raffled off the Spartan Dory that Henry Montefront made, uh, because we asked people to donate to the heads of the, f- uh, the, the two A families, you know, for that case, for that Kendrick case. We raised a Excellent. lot of dough. Uh, Excellent. every, every time you donate it, you got another, uh, entry into the raffle, and uh, so everybody was alerting me from all the organizations. I got seven raffles today. I got five yesterday or whatever, and uh, people were sending copies of the receipts to Sandy and I, and then we uh, had the Dory drawing October 3rd when we had the grand opening of the Gun Range edition, so uh, I'm aware of that case, too, and it's good to see all of the uh, 2A groups coming together for a case. You're right. Most of the time, the egos don't get checked at the door, so it's nice to see uh, some solidarity, you know?
3: So you might actually call that process finding Dory.
1: Oh no, not another Finding one. Dory.
3: Oh, God. Sorry, I, <laughs> here we go. I, I have to apologize to you for that.
1: He's here all week long, ladies and gentlemen. Please remember <laughs> to, try, to keep try, your try service the,
2: Try the veal.
3: Try, try the veal.
1: The veal.
2: <laughs> try
3: the
1: veal.
2: I love it. So Dan, uh, uh, I can't believe you're not l- losing sleep over this at night. I am. Well, see, that's uh, maybe that's maybe you should change your
3: approach. No, I can't. I can't. This is because here's, I the thing, know something, here's, the, Dan. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's literally nothing we can do about it now. It's it's set in stone. We don't know what the decision is going to be, but it's pretty much set in stone. I mean, things could change, but they're not going to change in the next three weeks. Whatever right. it is, it is, and we'll find
2: out. All right, Dan Dan Schmutter from Hartman Winicky in where Ridgewood. Ridgewood, New Jersey. Look him up, please, Dan Schmutter, to a extraordinaire. Dan, I can't thank you enough. You will be on after the opinion, so get ready, young man. Sounds good. Want, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank, thank you, you so Dan much for being here. I want to do a little uh, housekeeping. We have tons of classes coming up. Tony Simon killed it last week. Next time he'll be here is August 11th. Atenzia knife and pen class, July 24th. We have our long-range class. Uh, The next class is August 12th and 13th. The June 17th and 18th class sold out. Have your people call my people. Chuck Leonard is here doing full line of NRA instructor classes. Learn to become an NRA instructor or a range safety officer. Sandy, to you.
1: Anthony, can we add someone out of the state of New Jersey to the quarantine crawl? Why
2: not? Just have them email me, and I'll take care of it. All
1: right. Can I plug them here?
2: Yes, please.
1: All right. I want to plug uh, two young, brilliant chefs who are operating, believe it or not, of all places, out of a gas station in Columbus, North Carolina. Really, really good grub, uh, both breakfast and lunch. Uh, their little company is called Crossroads Kitchen, with a K, CrossroadsKitchen.com. If you're driving up I-80, uh, I-26 80 uh, i in or out of the mountains toward Asheville or toward Greenville, South Carolina, that's the place to stop. It's in the Vigo gas station in Columbus, South Carolina. Uh, both two-way supporters, great guys, great young chefs, really creative. Uh, well... Uh, it looks like you've done it again You've wasted yet another perfectly good hour Listening to Gun for Hire Radio Gun for Hire Radio is a CounterThink media production The music we in this broadcast is managed by Cosmo Music New York, New York On behalf of our show host, Master Trainer Anthony Calandro Author of Crime Proof, Think Like a Criminal And Beat Them at Their Own Game Available wherever you get Really, really good books Or you can get them at the range and you might be able to get them signed Depending upon his mood uh, true, Ann? Yes, thank uh, you all. All right, we love you guys uh, from the uh, foothills of the beautiful North Carolina mountains. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, God willing, Jesus tarries and the batteries hold out. We will see you again next and I'm week. To in my mind.